That's right, people. You're listening to another episode of Stronger Together, recorded live from CrossFit Fort Pierce. One way to help us get stronger, keep us together, and most importantly, keep us getting stronger together. With articulate dialogue. The, the, uh, the, then I'm gonna. Uh, Jake. <clears throat> I've been trying to do this the whole time. He's choked up. <clears throat> um. What was the rest of the question? I just. I've been really enjoying talking Why did you just say your. And mutual respect that rises above all the bickering. You're an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Have it's the true. ability to. to uh, well, I know it's true. That's why I said it. Fair. He's a very jealous person. Yeah, he is very pro masker when it comes to. Well, my to wife turns the lights on. We cover the hard topics that others shy away from. I had a Skittle today. It has it has a sequence on it. Oh, that's like that's like my therapy with the people who love the gym the most. I'm not getting paid for this, guys. You see, you know. <laughs> this week, Tony and I are joined by owner of Legit Cuts Barber Shop and CrossFit Fort Pierce member Jose. We call him Legit. Let's get into it. So, so what I want to do is talk about your story from survival to now thriving. Before we do that, tell us what survival looked like in high school or as a, even elementary school student. You've talked about that quite a bit to many of us, but but publicly, I haven't heard you tell your story. Yeah, it's a, it. It's so crazy to think back that it was normal. You know what I'm saying? Uh, because you don't really look at anyone else living differently. When you're surrounded by the same people that do the same things you do, you don't you don't know right from wrong. You just know what you learned there. You know, it's mm-hmm. a survival kind of instinct where it's like you kind of just adjust to your environment. So growing up in high school, well, when I was in elementary, like I can think back to first grade to about at least fifth grade where we went to at least 10 different schools. You know, the stability wasn't there in the household. Being that my mom was a single mother, it was kind of hard for her to have a full-time job and make enough money for us to live in Miami. So we had to, you know, uh, piggyback off a couple friends to live off couches and stuff like that. So it, it was a rough upbringing, but she did her best she can and i'm blessed for it because those times where we had things you know but from first grade to about fifth grade i probably went to like eight nine schools and yet you were a perfect we we used to tease you but you told us you were a perfect attendance student you want to say something (laughs) about that yeah yeah man because uh the perfect attendance came by where it's like we're already struggling right and the last thing we need is to you know us do bad in school so then that way it takes mom out of work Mm -hmm. you know it's going to miss another meal if mom doesn't come to work. And the perfect attendance is funny. It's, it's a pretty cool joke because it's like, it was a guaranteed meal, you know? I had breakfast and lunch, and those were the meals that counted the most for me. So I knew if I wanted to eat, we were in times where we couldn't have food to the table. So school is what provided us the meals, and we were thankful to have the free lunches in school. And uh, we did the we did the breakfast. We'll get there on time for breakfast. We'll be there for lunch. And a lot of kids were picky about what they ate, you know, because you had the different class of uh, kids that had more than others. So if they didn't like the food that they served in the school, we ate a little more. So I felt like the malnutrition came from not having it, but understanding it that if I go to school every day, I was guaranteed breakfast and lunch. Mm. So per- Perfect attendance. Perfect model student. Yeah, man. So no matter what school I went to, I was there, you know. That's, Tony, That's pretty touching and i hope that like some people can receive what that actually means to um just people in a rough spot right like how important not only just like school is the but the food but also the community you went to like eight different schools in a couple year period do you think that affects you about how you treat like the community here 
like because obviously you thrive on community you do a lot of things com yeah. for the community with the community do you think that had a big thing to do with it yeah well it's just i understand what it's like to not have it so you know to to catch that fire under you you know what i'm saying because a lot of people go different ways with it some people can't handle the pressure they turn over to drugs you know some, some people you know at a young age though you know i've seen kids you know 13 years old already into drugs and it's like wow and then the things they have to see because of the areas they're in so it's kind of like you have a sensitive area in that sense but yeah because in this it, like, like you say i can make an impact and succeed here more than I can in Miami because I'm a small fish in a big pond over yeah. here, over there, you know? Yeah. But I see that more in Fort Pierce where you can make a big impact by just changing one. Yeah. You know, you can teach a thousand, but that one that takes it over is the one that, you know, carries on that message. Yeah. Trey, there were a couple of points that I saw you uh, becoming animated. He said, and, and perhaps you'd want to expand, when you're around people that are doing the same things that you're doing, you don't know anything different is possible. Do you see that? Th that's completely true. And I, I mean, you can see it in the gym, like as, as the culture and the environment changed here and the, you know, we became more nutrition focused. You can see more changing people, um, people that come from outside the gym to here, if they, all their friends are drinking and partying on the weekends and during the week, they come here and everyone's a little bit more structured. They're a little bit more disciplined. I can see the immediate change in them just changing their environment. I've witnessed it. I, you can read about it, but I've witnessed it. It's and amazing. even people s that have been on the podcast have talked about switching classes. Not that their class is bad, but when you just put in a different environment, everything you normally compare yourself to is Changes. disrupted a little bit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And Correct. I think changing environment is one of the, the most important things you can do as far as trying to make a change to yourself. Correct, correct. Mm -hmm. And then, um, like, the malnutrition, you were saying, like, your environment provides that malnutrition as well. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but if you want to get better at your nutrition, you got to kind of feed feed yourself into the good hearing because the nutrition starts with what you hear, you know? Yeah. If your friends are talking about, man, burgers and fries are great, you're like, man, you're not lying, bro. Yeah. I'm tired of this, yeah. you know? But if your next friend is like, you know what? Let me have some cauliflower, broccoli, and steak right now, you know? And then you're like, man, that doesn't sound bad. Sometimes it's just, uh, I guess you're just the sensitive of food. You're scared of trying something new and this and that. But if your friends are, feed are helping you along the way, it makes it easier. Absolutely. I, I want to do something, and I want to go in stages because you're a complicated dude. <laughs> you're, you're the only person I know who can go back to childhood and begin. Well, let me rephrase. You're the only person who has, because we all can. That's part of the point. You're the only person I know who has gone back to childhood to analyze your nutritional history. Why is that important? Before we get into your present and, and where you want to go with it, why was that important for you to look back and start understanding your nutritional history in that way? Because it wasn't just a, a matter of, you didn't talk about your life circumstances. You talked about what that meant nutritionally, and I'd love to hear even why you even look back in that way, through that lens. Because um, if you think back to when you grow up, if you think back to your parents, to your grandparents, to your great-grandparents, everyone has that recipe, right? Everyone carries over a nutrition. Everyone carries over that special dish that they share, right? And then you start implementing to these uh, eating habits. We all eat what we see, our culture, what we're brought up with. Um, when I was growing up, it was more of you eat to survive. 
Mm-hmm. Everything that was put in front of you is because that's all we had. Those times where we was just, you know, we'll count the pennies to buy a loaf of Cuban bread and then we'll put, we'll be lucky to put tomatoes on it, but olive oil will go on top. You understand? Like, we ate to survive. And I felt like if we had the proper nutrition growing up, we could have been in different, you know, mindset of food. But you, I use it as an inspiration where it's like, look, I didn't do it growing up. So then I started following what we do for survival. And in our Cuban culture, we eat a lot of pork. We have family with bad health in cholesterol, diabetes, and, you know, just always overweight. So I felt like if I carry that over in my nutrition today, it's only going to affect me later. So I really had to understand what is affecting me in order for me to succeed. Okay. Tony, you've talked a lot about intentionality, even very you've been intentional about intentionality over the last several days. And and some of that is just being intentional with nutrition so long as you're putting in the time. But I also know that you've done quite a bit of reading about um the ways that the food industry is set up so that there is um less thought so that it's based on instincts that are uh, sometimes made to feel like survival. So you talk about, um, you know, the battle and confronting kind of patterns and habits. And There's a habit wheel. You have a, um, a desire or and then you respond by consuming that desire, feeding that desire. Let's say you, you're hungry and your body says, I'm craving sugar. So you eat sugar. Then there's that reward of that high. Mm-hmm. So you have like a response cycle that your body uh, has naturally and that's for survival he's a young male and he's hungry his body's telling him he's hungry so he survives so he gets the right nutrients the um, food industry has tapped into researching exactly what your body wants and is, and is craving for and how to turn off those hunger signals so that you continue eating their product so they make more money off their product Mm-hmm. So it all comes down to dollars and cents. But they've tapped into it, Doritos. There's a reason why you can eat a whole bag of Doritos, mm-hmm. but you can't eat that five pieces of uh, broccoli or cauliflower that yeah. you were talking about earlier. Yeah, uh, and, and maybe this is a teaching moment for me. What is caloric density and why does it matter? Because I think you're kind of hinting at that. So it's pretty much how many calories are given in the weight of the food. So, for instance, Dorito could have, let's say five Doritos has like 100 calories. I don't mm-hmm. know if this is true or not, but that same weight in broccoli could have 10 calories. Mm-hmm. That takes you longer to digest the broccoli. It doesn't spike your hormones. It burns more energy to digest it. Or you have those five pieces of Doritos spike your insulin levels and immediately hungry again. Oh, and that Dorito tells your body it's not hungry because it turns off all the hormones that, that give you the full feeling. Mm. That's interesting. Then, mm. then that's true because it's more you're eating out of habit now. You're just kind of, you're just tasting. They, over, keep the, tasting they over, over indulge our taste buds. Yeah. So we can never, like a drug addict, can never get the same high again. So we chase it. That's true. And then it gets you in the habit of, oh, it tastes good. And was that your experience that what you wound up eating sometimes in survival mode wasn't even as filling or, you know, bread and water is the key to get you, you know, but then he's not getting, but then you're not getting the nutrients. You're not getting the nutrients. You're just turning off your hunger. You're getting uh, food, but you weren't mal, you were malnourished. Exactly. So, um, I mean, and for instance, as I was growing up, you start to realize like 
you know, now we can afford this. But the, fir- the first thing you afford is, is food, like the junk food. That's all you go for because it's like, all right, cool. It's cheaper to just eat to be full than to eat to get gains. Were you guys mm-hmm. ever on, like, any government help? Yeah, well, being that we were in Miami, we weren't uh, approved for a lot of, the, you know, government homes and stuff like that. So a lot of places we live were, you know, just enough so, to get us so by. So it's really food interesting stamps. that the, the food market knows when the stamps go out. Mm-hmm. And they heavily market junk food on those days. Yeah, you get penny whoppers. <laughs> yeah, on those days. They know when the junk food, the, the snap or the uh, food stamps go out. Yeah. And they heavily market Oreos and all this junk food on those days, specifically to target the people that have it. I mean, it's, it's kind of scary in a sense. It is. And it's like the government's paying for the junk food market. And then if you want to take it another step farther, and then who's paying for the health care? I mean, it's a huge Yeah, of course. And then if, if it's keeping you in business, why give you a, a better plan? And we're in the middle of the Whole30 program now. And, and so if I could make a connection, the um, there, I think there's two aspects that you're talking about in terms of being intentional. First is just deciding you know, and, instead of just being random. But I think the second part of being intentional is recognizing that there's almost a counter current. That it's not just saying, okay, I'm going to do this and now I will. It's I'm going to do this and there's some addictions, there's some tendencies, there's some habits, and there's some um, money to be made yeah. in ways that are working against what you might want. There's a big current against you. Uh, some of it's your own body working mm-hmm. against you in the sense of hormones and thoughts and feelings. But most of it is society and the big food. Yeah, man. And it's it's so crazy how it's you can access bad quicker than the good you know mm-hmm. and if you're out past 10 o'clock there's no good options to eat unless you're cooking at home so you have to have that food ready that exactly. meal exactly you gotta meal, meal prep, prep it, it up boy doesn't it always but that come just back shows to meal you prep. how they promote more bad than they do good mm-hmm. however though it is a proven fact that the later you stay up the worse your food choices will be correct food even if yourself you you will make worse choices in food the later you stay up. Agree. I'm not going to lie. You know, I, I, I do get out of hand past 10 o'clock. Yeah. And and also the least amount of sleep you have, the worse your food choices will be the next day. Jose, in the last podcast, I, I was talking about something that, I, you know, I have an inner Jose voice that sometimes says things just to keep me <laughs> motivated. So maybe it was inner Jose and not real Jose. Uh, can you can you do it in the Jose voice? No. no What's the no, Jose we'll get, voice? We'll get bad mail. No, no, no. We'll get bad mail. I'm, I'm not trying. I don't want another bad review Come at all. On, just no, 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 no. I can't. <laughs> no, no. Off the mic. Um, have you spoken before about being intentional about stopping your eating within a certain window before you go to sleep? Correct. Yes. What's yes. that about? Well, I've always I've always felt and in myself when I eat before bed I wake up with stomach like gut pain, you know? It just feels like the food sitting on one side or you know, I always felt internally something wrong. And I I've, I've always said like, man, there's there's got to be some research to this. So when I looked into this 2 hour uh don't eat 2 hours before you sleep thing, uh, the reason that it's so important is because when your body's at sleep, you're at a fasted state. And if you have food in your system two hours before you sleep, your body's not going to focus on being on detox mode, you know, like just fasted and just letting your your proper nutrition just kind of like take it in full effect. If you, if you have food in your stomach, your body uh, focuses on digesting food. 
if you don't have food in your stomach, then it's focusing more on cleaning out the mucus in your body. So that's like kind of like cleansing in your lungs. Uh, so kinda it kind of takes away the inflammation. I- exactly. So it's more focusing on reproductive levels in your body. And even like the like the Buddhists do it, and a lot of them don't eat. They only eat out of a two-hour window, anyways. But before sleep is important uh, to not eat. That way, your body focuses on actually relaxing than it is to digest the whole time. Mm-hmm. And Tony, you've been talking for a while about the importance of sleep and being intentional about that. How does meal prep come into play then, if if we're prioritizing sleep? Meal prep is important, specifically when we're talking about sleeping. Again, going back to the last comment. The later you stay up, the more likely it is you're going to make a bad choice with food. So if you have that good food ready and you, and you consume that good food a little earlier, let's say 8 o'clock, 10 o'clock comes around, you're probably not going to be hungry and you can tell yourself, I'm not hungry. And maybe start making better choices if you do become hungry. It's because you won't be as, uh, the signal of hunger won't be as strong. So maybe you grab your grapes instead of the ice cream. Mm-hmm. So I think meal prep has a lot to do with being prepared. Just has a lot to do with it. Okay. Yeah, I agree one hundred percent, man. And my thing is that I lack in is it's the sleep part, right? Because the uh, the eating good and this and that, I can mentally be ready for that. But the sleeping part, <laughs> that's what gets me. How many hours of sleep would you say is healthy? I think you, I think the it's good to at least get seven. Most people need eight to nine. Yeah, because people get caught up in that work life, man, and it's a systematic lifestyle. Well, you get caught up in the work life, but you also get caught up in the cell phone, Instagram, YouTube, Netflix. There's all reasons that you're working at 10 o'clock at night, or is it something else? Well, I've been been getting out of work at like 9 o'clock at night, and then by the time you get home and get ready for bed, you know, you do everything you got to do, it turns into being 11 o'clock at night. And that's true because you're meal prepping and, and getting everything ready for the next day. Yes. But a lot of people are also on Instagram and Netflix yeah, yeah, for a yeah, large yeah. portion and, of and that time. And I, I mean, I'm in that rabbit hole, too. I'm not I'm not perfect, you know. I'm a part of the robotic lifestyle that everyone is on social media. But I kind of have a little bit more control in that. I try not to be a journalist. Say more about that. What do you mean by that? Because, man, some people just post too much on things like that. And you don't want to be programmed, programmed into a lifestyle where you have to show what you're doing to get self-gratification. I feel like the self the self gratification comes within yourself. You know, you shouldn't have to get it from other people liking what you do. So you work hard, hardworking guy. Yes, yes. Own a own a own a therapy business that covers as a barber shop. <laughs> but but that kind of started as a survival method too. Can you talk about how you got into? barbering kind of as a way of survival yeah man uh, it's been a blessing that i have something that i can say that has steered me in the right path because the barbering all all it was was this is going to get food on my plate uh when i moved here from for from miami it's like what is it that i'm gonna do here that's gonna make it different for everything else and i kind of just kind of stuck with that I'm not going to go and do the same thing I was doing over there because it's only going to give me the same result. I started a different game plan. I was at, I was probably like 14 at the time. You wouldn't think any 14-year-old would have to think that way, but being that growing up, you had no different way of thinking. It's just I turned it over into my adulthood as well. So tell me about your first barbershop that wasn't really a barbershop. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, being that... <laughs> 
being that we're here today, we can discuss about that because back then it was a little illegal, but I wasn't in the corner trying to make a living. I was in my balcony cutting hair, you know? And I was blessed with the skills. I love illegal content. It always helps drive downloads. Keep going. <laughs> hey, man, street pharmacists make a living too, you know? But uh, I never had to go that route, and I'm blessed to say, because of the trade that I got. And I got this trade by first impression, you know? I'll, I never liked to look poor, so my presentation was important to me. So I used to cut my own hair. In Fort Pierce, I couldn't find a barber that can cut my style or even in the sense where I liked it. And you call it sauce. I call it salsa. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's something distinct. And I knew that I had it and they didn't see it, so I created it. And that was the kind of first step to, all right, this is one of the objectives I want to get through, which is learn how to cut hair. I did it on myself. And when people started recognizing I had a nice haircut, I figured I could do it to someone else. Mm -hmm. Fun fact, I met Jose because I cut my own hair. Yeah, man, there I you go. I messed up. <laughs> well, at least you knew you messed up. <laughs> yeah, I knew I messed up. Admitting See? your mistakes is the <laughs> yeah, key to man. growth. Hey, the biggest teacher in life is experience. You know what I'm saying? Might have been one of my uh, best mistakes ever. Yeah, because then you met me, and then I fixed the mistake, and now you didn't want to make it no more. Exactly. But okay. I didn't have a Jose growing up. <laughs> I looked at it in the mirror, and I was like, okay, this is how we're going to figure this out. So as this business is going, you're how old? Um... When I first started cutting hair, I was about 14 years old. I didn't start cutting other people's hair and making money until I was 15 years old. Mm -hmm. So, and, and where was your mom? Um, so at 15, my mom was, you know, around this area. And we were doing pretty well. I mean, well from what we're used to, you understand? Because when we moved up here, we moved in an apartment and we shared with friends we knew that lived here. So for a couple months, we were with them, but then they moved away. I mean, this is a family of five moving into a two-bedroom apartment mm -hmm. and once they moved away my mom was able to stick it around here but then there was this hurricane in new orleans that caused them to move their work over there because that's where all the work was because when they were here they were on a dump truck business uh that was providing work because of new homes that were being built in port st lucie so that provided us uh, a place to move to and then also to make money so the opportunities were endless then compared to what we were used to and I was 14 at the time. At 15, my mom was here. And halfway in my 15 years of life, my mom had to move to Louisiana. So I stayed here with my brothers in Fort Pierce at that two-bedroom apartment. So if my mom leaves me and or my brothers alone at the age of 15, the one thing I'm not going to do without supervision is run a business. <laughs> There's lots of things I would do but not run a business. If you're hungry. Yeah, but, but like I said, when you come from a lifestyle where it's like a survival thing, you know, you you don't know what tomorrow looks like. So you got to make the best out of today. And then I feel like that's the impact I had growing up. And, and it kind of sucks to say that sometimes you have to do things that are going to uh, affect your lifestyle where it's like I missed out on, on having that kid life. You know what I'm saying? I didn't do those things as a kid. So because I had to work or make money elsewhere, you know, we used to back in Miami, I'll go to grocery stores and bag up people's groceries and they'll give us tips. Me and my brothers used to do that. And that's something we did. We went to the grocery stores, bagged up groceries for tips. We went home and gave it to mom because we knew what it was that how hard she had to work to get her gains. You know, Did you at least take your 10 percent. No, what we did was, and, I, and it's a funny thing because uh, pan con bistec is like uh, one of our signature Cuban sandwiches. And we, there was a place that made it around the corner. And it was $10. It, no, back at the day, it was like $6. And 
since uh, me and my brothers will make money, we'll, got, we'll buy two pan con and we'll split it down the middle. We'll each get a piece. And then we go home and give mom the rest of the money. So as long as we had money for the pan con we made it happen. Sometimes we didn't get the pan con because we gave it to mom, you know. But, like, that was the motivation. So one of the things that I think is strange about you is that there's a part of you that accepts reality wherever it is. You know, you, 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 there wasn't any time complaining. There wasn't any time uh, feeling sorry for yourself, though, though I think the circumstances might warrant it for some people. And yet, when you were accepting it, you were never satisfied. So I would say you're opportunistic. Have you always been opportunistic? Um, I'm the youngest of four. So I guess the, the mistakes were made in my older brothers, so I realized that weren't right. And that's where the opportunistic phase comes in. Because the opportunities they took didn't work for them. So the opportunities presented to me were different. Hmm. And that's when I had to realize at a young age that, yeah, I might be a couple years behind. But I can learn more being a younger brother. Thankfully that I have older brothers. And they didn't understand it as well as I did. And that's why they kind of have certain traumas in certain areas. Because I kind of had to hear it from them. And that's when you got to learn from their mistakes and their experiences. Correct. I've always gone. I always went by saying you have to learn from other people's mistakes because we're not going to live long enough to make them all ourselves. Mm -hmm. So that's what motivates me. And and being the youngest one of four or five with my mom, you know, setting the examples for us as well. uh, I can all I can do is win. you know what I'm saying? That's how I found that fighter instinct. Tony, how important is it? How important is mindset? when it comes to seeing and making opportunities? Mindset, perspective is reality. And your mindset dictates how you see everything. That could be from hunger to the ability to hustle to depression. And not saying that depression is not a real thing, but it all comes down to perspective. It's how you, when you look in the mirror, uh, what you see inside and outside, change your thoughts and then that may also change as well. So it's all perception is reality. It's a huge weight in what you see. Agreed, man. And then don't, I'm not a perfect kid, you know. I, I did make mistakes along the way. But nothing, it, it was no mistake that didn't give me the opportunity to be here from. today. Exactly. So you talked a lot about your childhood. And I know two times a year you do two really awesome things that I'm aware of. One is the um, toy drive. And one is the supplies, school supply, all for the kids. There has to be a good story behind it. <laughs> well, yeah, man, it's a, it's 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 an inspiring story to think back at it. But growing up, it was kind of like you kind of just had to accept it for what it is. Those times that I went to school and I didn't have school uniform, I didn't have the new shoes, I didn't have the new clothes. You know, the kids care so much about the haircut, like that I give. You know, growing up, I didn't have a fresh haircut for school. So there's, there's times that I know what it is to be there. And I didn't go to school with the proper supplies. And sometimes the reason I didn't make a good grade in the class was because I didn't have the materials on the list. And I thought that was pretty sad, but I showed up every day. So that systematic lifestyle is what I try to like avoid to get into. So I, I look at myself in the eyes of the kid. I went through it myself, and at the time, this is what I did to survive, but if I had someone that were to help out, you know, they were, I, I would be able to reach out to them. As a kid, you had to understand that, look, at the end of the day, as long as I got a paper and a pencil, I can work. 
So we're blessed that at certain some some years, and I actually my aunt made it a time uh, a period where she's made sure I had my supplies for school every year because that's where I affected was I lacked the materials. So my aunt stepped up and went school supply shopping for us every year. And so but now you pay it forward. Yes, now I pay it forward. Well, the reason I do it to where I do a supply drive to collect is because. We're, we're trying to get the kids in school and not have an excuse because that was my excuse. I didn't have the materials. And there was a lot of kids that did that. They'll come to school without materials. So what I did was I did a backpack drive and give it to the kids. But then you start doing the research behind it. Some kids forget their backpacks at home. So now they come to school and they don't have supplies. So we partnered up with Mustard Seed Ministry and they supply to the actual teachers because the teachers come out of pocket getting this kids materials because the school system doesn't carry themselves so not only are we giving supplies to the kids but also to the teachers so they can provide because you can give the kids all the materials but when they come to school what they only want to come with a notebook because they don't they don't look cool with a backpack so we found it to where it's like me as a kid i didn't have it but i really wanted to be in school so now those kids got backpacks and then now it's those kids that don't look cool with supplies, but then the teachers has to go out of the way and get them supplies. You understand? Yeah. So now it's 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 learn it's put into a perspective where the teachers can help out as well, because I know some great teachers out there and they help me out as well. Where if I didn't have it, they went out of the way and got got it for me because they seen it in me. You know, they seen that spark where it's like, man, a lot of times the reason I was failing class was because. Uh, you, you need materials to do the work, you know. Yeah. If you got a project, you don't you don't have the the board. You got to go to Walmart, pay ten, like six dollars for a board to do a project on for a grade, and then you don't use it again. We don't have money like that, you know. Like we, that, that was that very I, ridiculous. I assume that Christmas and the toy drive is a very similar story. And then the exactly, and then Christmas and the toy drive. How it worked was, you know, I didn't grow up with having a tree every year. You know that I didn't know that reality of christmas to us christmas was just a holiday we got out of school i didn't grow up with the gifting or nothing like that we went to uh toy drives when i was growing up to get our gifts so i was so used to being given by an actual community so that's where i felt like i felt that community love and i was in position of receiving things so i noticed when i was in a position to give back that was my due that i had to give so that's what it turned into where it's like I didn't have it growing up. So when I was able to get myself on my feet, I'm going to give it back. And that's why I do it. Listen, we know the community is important to you. But but while this community is important to you, it, it, it we get the sense that you could make community wherever you are. And perhaps that's one of the things you're intentional about. Why is community important to you? See, where we grew up, it was an apartment complex, right? In an apartment complex, for instance, when there was a hurricane, the power went off. Nobody in the complex had power. And I'm talking about there's hundreds of people. There's hundred people that live in here. You know, kids, families. We'll we'll get a grill. Someone's got steaks. Someone's got chicken. We'll do a cookout in the apartment complex to survive. So that's what made me understand that it's like, it's not only about you, just you at that moment. You know, it's like we're all in this situation together. We're so. all stronger together. <laughs> yes, exactly. And in that sense, you, you understand, you remember, we live in Florida. You get hurricanes, and in those situations, it's that survival. And your community is what keeps you together. When we had to go to quarantine, right, 
we build communities online in order to keep people together. But at the end of the day, people needed people to survive. And that's the same concept I had in my neighborhood. And in my neighborhood was a small community like this. I, the whole Hialeah, you know, I used to know everybody around there. And in Miami, Little Havana, you start, wherever we lived, we built a community of friends. Did you know Neil? Because he said he was from Little Havana. No, yeah, I, I would go there to eat. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a part. You know, you get the best Cuban food in Little Havana. They have the oldest, most traditional uh, Cuban restaurants. That's where I would use my inner Jose voice to help. How do you, get you, the you bread with give steak? Me his inner Jose <laughs> no, 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 voice, no, 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 no. Please, no, listen, listen. I want, I, and I want to be real careful because it's fun to, to joke with you too. But there's nothing funny about food insecurity. It's not right. It's not fair. It's not just. But but you have begun your story identifying as hungry and yet you have translated a drive and and again the metaphor doesn't work but you've stayed driven and, and some might say um f- forgive me hungry in a different way mm-hmm. can you just say a word about what keeps you interested in in learning um from what you read from what you hear tony has asked you before about what you try to stay connected into and being intentional about um what you read what you listen to i think it'd be unfair to let you go without allowing you to speak to that well, I feel like the greatest thing you could give in life is the best version of yourself, you know? Deep. It's what you put in that dash in between whenever you're living and you're dying. And what I do for myself is only pre- going to prepare me to teach someone else. Because in life, everyone goes through their own paths. But it's the story you leave behind that people are going to take with them. And what I teach you is something you're going to remember of me. And that's the story you're going to carry on. The perspective I left as a person, you're going to carry on. That inner Jose voice is what lives forever, not me. You know, what I do is for everyone else. We're all brought here for a purpose. And once you understand your purpose, that's what you fall in love with. Because that starts with nutrition, mentality, and physicality. You know, what what you're physically able to do is what you invested into yourself. You know? Accidents come along the way, but they don't determine who you become. It's what you want to become after that accident. But one of the things that I perhaps appreciate about you most is not just that you're attached to telling your story so that there's an inner Jose and a Saul, but that you treat everybody that you interact with here and, and, and what you do in this community as if you regard their capacity and their desire to change the world, and you honor that too. So okay. thank you for that. And yeah, man, you plant that seed, and you, you got to keep you know, you keep watering it, and it comes with what you want it to grow into. You know, sometimes uh, you go the wrong paths, and there might be poisonous areas you lead into, but you want to be that flower, it, it comes with hard work, you know. It definitely... There's a great analogy that goes with that. You can't plant a seed and get fruit off of it tomorrow. So you have to keep watering it and nurturing it, and there will be fruits of the labor. Yeah, and the so root... Give it time. And the root is bitter, you know. It's bitter. But the fruit, it berries are sweet. Mm-hmm. And that's what comes with time, you know. You got your time, but time and hard work and persistence. Yeah, and, and then the hunger you're talking about, that, that, that was the hardest part to understand. Is my stomach growling because I'm hungry? You know what I'm saying? Or is, is my stomach growling because I'm, uh, I have to change a little something in my diet? You have to understand yourself before you're able to teach someone else. My childhood, if I didn't understand my childhood, it would just be another excuse, you know. And I'll be the one finding reasons of why I'm not where I'm at. And I use that hunger in order uh, to, to satisfy into my future. 
Tony, what is the gym doing? First, let's talk about because it's 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 coming up on the calendar. What is the gym doing to support uh, local hunger relief? We partnered up with the local food bank uh, to gather food for specifically for Thanksgiving to the underserving people that need a little bit more help to make sure that everyone can have a very, very happy Thanksgiving. And how can we help? We can help by bringing some canned foods and non-perishables to the orange bins underneath the CrossFit Four Pier sign. Um, We're going to start pushing hard now for the rest of the month because we really want to rally and fill these buckets up. And then coming into the the Christmas season, what can we be looking out for in terms of helping support Jose and some of the things he's got going on? Every year I love to support support Jose through the uh, toy drive and the back-to-school drive. We will definitely be pushing hard to make sure that the kids get the toys that they need or that they want and that help fulfill them and give them a very happy Merry Christmas. Yeah, the gym has done a tremendous job helping us out and in support. Uh, we got a strong community in this gym, and I'm blessed to be a part of because that's the community I'm used to is where we see each other struggling in certain areas, and we kind of we're there for each other to help, either, either is by advice uh, or by, a, you know, just spotting them or just watching them their movements and kind of just helping them and correcting them. But that's what I like. And in, in the toy drive, everyone always helps tremendously. Legit, we love you. You're a man of heart and vision, and your vision is your heart, and, uh, and vice versa. So thanks for your time today. Very busy time. We, we owe it, the man. world millions of dollars. No lost way. impact. Yeah, thanks for your time. Hey, everyone's busy. You just got to make time for the things you want in life. You know? That's right. All right, brother. Thanks for having me. There it is, Jeeps. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. All my Jeeple out there doing Whole30, you tigers, you. Don't forget to come back in and get your measurements and your result photos before you head off to Thanksgiving. Speaking of Thanksgiving, please, how could you forget already? We just talked about this. Bring in some non-perishable food items for this Thanksgiving food drive so that we can help others get the Thanksgiving that they deserve as well. That ends November 20th, so you've only got a few more days to do that. We're going to celebrate with November 21st. A girl's day at Kate's house. Let Kate know you're coming and interested. If you don't know who Kate is, her number's on the whiteboard. Ladies and me, we're going to get together and have a great day this Sunday, November 21st. Our next podcast, we will be joined by Leah Sweat as we, Tony and I, convince Leah to help us make podcast history. But alas, I've said too much. You'll have to check it out next week. In the meantime, please be safe, my Jeepo. And remember, do good. Eat well, and in between, don't forget to make a little bit of time to be bad.